Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello, and welcome back to the Decrypting Crypto podcast. I'm Austin Knight, and I am joined today by my co-host, Matthew Halsbarby. Hey, Austin. Uh... Great to be here from afar again this time after our United episode where we were able to record in person last week. But all the same, gave us a bunch of time to to catch up. We had some great chats over dinner and we got a bunch more stuff that we're going to dig into today. Um, lots of stuff going on in the in the blockchain and wider regulatory space. Yeah, we have quite some interesting stories to jump into today. Uh, the first of which is that the Marshall Islands is issuing its own cryptocurrency. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with the Marshall Islands, it's officially called the Republic of the Marshall Islands. It's an island country and a United States associated uh, state near the equator in the Pacific Ocean between Hawaii and... uh, Crap, I just blanked. It's... Oh, between I, Hawaii and the Philippines. I All think right, that's actually let's... perfect. We uh, <laughs> a, a perfect example of how little known the Marshall Islands is. I'm not even ashamed <laughs> to say. Like, usually we would cut out this stuff in the, the okay. podcast, but I think this one has to live there, Austin. I, uh, but for all our listeners, I actually had to make notes for me and Austin from Wikipedia on like <laughs> details about the Marshall Islands. And I, uh, but I, I honestly, I'll admit myself, I didn't really know anything about the Marshall Islands before before we dug into some of this yeah. uh, news story. Uh, and it's like 53,000-ish, like, population. That was from, like, their 2016 census. That's, that's not just, like, a small place in the US. That's, like, a town in England, right? And, like, England is small. So yeah. that, this is a, a pretty small place, right? Yeah, yeah. For comparison, like very small cities in the U.S. are still typically around maybe 300,000 people. Mm -hmm. So, yes, this is a very small place where um, I think an interest, as we were talking before we started recording, an interesting sort of pilot of a like a state run cryptocurrency could be run on a manageable scale. Yeah, so there, there was um, there was an article that was uh, published on CoinDesk, and it was actually uh, authored by David Paul, who's the Minister in Assistance to the President and Environment of the Marshall Islands. And what what David outlined is basically all the details for their their new currency, which. It, they're going to call it the Marshallese Sovereign, um, with the, the symbol SOV. And I think that the three things that I took out of David's statement were that he, he outlined these, like, three conditions of launching their new currency. The first one, which is primarily why we're discussing it on this podcast, is the currency would be based on blockchain technology. Uh, the second is the growth of uh, the money supply would be predetermined and tamper-proof. And then the third piece was that compliance would be baked into the currency protocol itself. These are all verbatim quotes uh, from from the article, which we'll link to in the, in the show notes. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
another thing that David mentioned is, uh, this is a direct quote, many of our citizens send or receive money using remittance services, paying fees of up to 10% per transaction. Even simple things like acquiring and installing ATMs become complicated when you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So I think that that, that does make sense, especially when you don't know that it's a set of islands between Hawaii and the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think that that gives us a little bit of a look into the motivation behind uh, this cryptocurrency and why um, the the Marshall Islands would want to adopt something like this. They, they want to help their citizens not rely so much on remittance services that cost up to 10% per transaction and not have to do things that are difficult in remote areas like obtaining and uh, installing ATMs. Yeah, that's a that's a huge percentage, ten percent. Imagine having to pay ten percent on every transaction that that you carry out. That's a that's a huge amount. And considering like the access to to services, how remote they are, a lot of their payments are going to be overseas. And I imagine there's going to be a huge amount of like sending money to like this. This is still a a, a member. Um, I forget the exact terminology here, an associated state uh, of the United States. So it's highly likely there's going to be a lot of money being sent to and from the U.S. They actually use U.S. dollar at the moment. Um, so I, I get the feeling the more that I was looking into this and the more we were discussing it, Austin, this is less of a, hey, here's some like really catchy news story we're going to create some awesome pr by doing something with crypto and more hey we actually have like a real problem right now that that we need to address and yes it seems that um that david paul and probably a, a lot of the uh, the the government in charge there are forward-thinking technologists and clearly have an appetite to use blockchain technology but it feels like there is actually a use case here and yeah. that yeah. i think that's what's important i agree just just for comparison um you think about like the marshall islands economy uh the, w part of what put the, the marshall islands on on the map internationally in, in terms of like a big piece of its economy for tourism is that it was a world war ii uh ship graveyard. So there's a bunch of sunken ships around the, the Marshall Islands that make for really great diving spots. Uh, mm. So there, you think about those types of economies, though, right? Like these service sort of tourism economies. Um, the GDP per capita of the Marshall Islands is right about $3,700. Uh, for comparison, in the United States, it's about $62,000. Yeah. So when <laughs> you think about those, you know, they are using the USD. You think about the fact that most of their transactions are going to to be international, and then you add that 10% fee on top of it with an already limited uh, income per person, um, then you're absolutely right, Matt. Like that, that is a very serious and legitimate use case for a technology that would not require fees of that magnitude. Yeah, and I think um, what I'm getting the sense of as well in a lot of the language that's being discussed uh, f from the likes of David, Paul, and co. is they probably feel quite vulnerable, right? Like, they could very easily be cut off at any moment from a lot of the the distribution that, that they have right now. David Paul was quoted 
uh, in saying how unstable most fiat currencies are. I think with the current U.S. government in place, like they're, it's, I think it's fair to say they're quite sanction heavy right now. So having a bit more um, monetary independence and, and financial independence as a as a country, while there are absolutely huge risks in that. I can see where the trade-off in them seeing this being like a lot of potential upside there. Um, I mean, so so we were talking about this. David was quoting things like Argentina's peso dropping 15% in a single day. Um, that's very, very recent news. And mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of uh, South American countries, I mean, this, this is happening time and time again. Yeah. Venezuela. Right, that's something that we talked a hell of a lot about in the previous series of the podcast. And um, David Paul said that the the Venezuelan Bolivar, the the primary fiat currency that operates in Venezuela, uh, in quotes, no longer functions at all. Um, they went through huge amounts of hyperinflation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. There, there are some interesting points there. I think it's worth also us discussing the fact that, I mean, Venezuela were an example of a country that launched a quote-unquote cryptocurrency <laughs> uh, in the Petro, which we've discussed. And maybe that's not like a great case study to be used here, right? Well, yeah, definitely the adoption of the Petro is very low. Um I think that there is a lot to unpack there, some of which we've done in previous episodes. But um, for sure, like the there are also some unique aspects to the Petro, like the fact that it's uh, pinged to uh, oil and uh, the fact that it's part of an already uh, repressive and untrustworthy regime. I, I think that that's Maybe maybe that's the uh, the the big comparison that David Paul is making here is mm. um, how like political in both cases with Argentina and Venezuela, political swings dramatically affected the fiat currency. So we, uh, for example, in Argentina, um, they're going through their election presidential election primaries right now, and. Um, Macri is the incumbent who was a liberal open market uh, president, and he's going up against the uh, the vice president of the candidate that he's going up against is uh, Christina Kirchner, who is part of a longstanding dynasty in Argentina of mm. uh, leftist isolationist um, policies. And it was in a huge surprise, actually, in in the primary polling, it showed um, that she was winning over Macri. And so that's where you see the peso drop by 15 percent in a single day. Um, and of course, Venezuela is also very similar situation um, with just much more extreme than what Argentina could potentially be on the cusp of right now with Maduro um, dramatically affecting the the fiat currency and its uh, inflation. So I, maybe that's what David is talking about here is like political mm-hmm. swings having a potential huge impact on fiat currencies versus cryptocurrencies. I think it's, it's hard to tell whether or not that's a good comparison, though, to your point, Matt, because of the effect um, that it, it could th- that same effect could be applied to a state run 
cryptocurrency in the same way that it was to the Petro, but we don't really know the specifics of the cryptocurrency that the Marshall Islands would be um, proposing here beyond those three sort of principles around it being based in blockchain, the money supply being predetermined and tamper-proof, and then having it uh, baked into the cryptocurrency protocol itself. That's that's basically what we're working with. Yeah, and I think that's a good point to, to raise, right? Around fiat currency, I, I think there's a good argument that currency as a whole uh, is, uh, that in, includes cryptocurrency, could be massively swayed by uh, political movements. I mean, that's not really contained in just south america we're seeing a lot of news stories and like quite dramatic fluctuations in in south america but i mean come into europe right and uh something very close to to my home right brexit if there there has been huge swings in pound sterling based on not just like the regulation and like voting and referendums directly related to brexit but even just around instability in some of the the current government uh people that are a bit more pro um a a no deal brexit people like boris johnson coming into power that's like definitely impacted like the stability of the uh of our native currency and then also something that we'll come on to a little later um, the the European Central Bank have been making some comments around Libra and saying mm-hmm. that actually this could cause a huge amount of instability to the euro. And th- 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 this is all kind of part of this uh, bigger piece. And a, an interesting take that I that I read when we were digging into stuff around the Petro, which I also might add, I was trying to get some good, like, data for us to talk through like on <laughs> what is the actual usage numbers of the petro what a like it's like a black hole there is nothing there there's no like published reports that i could find on actual adoption numbers they have their like block explorer that shows like how many blocks have been solved etc but it's pretty tough to really dig in and see what actual adoption is looking like but one area that I do think that the Petro, more than anything, has been a device for is circumventing sanctions. In particular, sanctions that were, are able to be more easily placed on their fiat currency. Um, in in particular, with like cross-country international payments. So mm-hmm. an, an area that they've been pretty successful with the Petro in is getting and avoiding any sanctions that are in place on SWIFT interbank transfer systems. Um, So they can kind of circumvent that with the Petro. At the same time, cryptocurrency is not completely immune to sanctions. Seeing Donald Trump uh, early last year, I believe it was, he outlawed basically the use of the petro by u.s citizens um and sent out like a flurry of of tweets all around this so it 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 works on both sides to to assume that like cryptocurrency can just be immune to things like this i think is somewhat naive but it's definitely in venezuela been used as a device to avoid sanctions and maybe that can somewhat be um some of the focus for the Marshall Islands as well, being quite vulnerable, isolated, yeah. to have a bit more more independence there. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in addition to that, David Paul had quite an interesting quote where he said, it is crucial that individual users should have a reasonable expectation of privacy, specifically the ability to choose when to disclose your information, what exactly to share, and with whom. And I wonder if this also has to play with um, the, the, the idea of, you know, this being a small island nation with a small population dependent on a currency that they do not govern, uh, and also being concerned by extension of that uh, about the privacy of their people and their leaders. Yeah, I I think it's quite interesting when you think about stuff like this. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about, I, I'll go all the way back to series one when we were talking through... Um, how to explain what blockchain technology is and how distributed ledger technology works. All, all of the examples are often best explained in smaller like population sizes, right? It's like, mm. imagine this being introduced into this small town. Everybody kind of knows each other and they need some anonymity. They need a distributed irrefutable ledger of transactions etc etc like the martial lines is like the perfect use case for what is often used as a hypothetical example but in the real world now i i i don't know how i honestly feel about this whole scheme the, the biggest challenge that we've talked about a lot austin is like will people actually adopt the technology right like you've got to have uh, a a complete culture shift from in particular cash which i imagine a lot of transactions are done with in the marshall islands uh over to blockchain technology mobile wallets like right. ownership and custody of your own um of your own cash I have no idea how this would work with like their existing banking infrastructure and systems. So there's a lot of question marks for me there. I think it's interesting and I'm I'm sure we'll keep a close eye on it, but I would say I'm like quietly pessimistic about how well it will actually end up for them. But hey, all all the more power to them if they're able to introduce something that's that works for for their people. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, even though we've been talking about crypto tech for uh, a couple of years now, um, and of course, you know, Bitcoin is 10 years old and, and all of this crazy stuff, right? Um, it's uh, it's still really early days oh, yeah. for this, especially with adoption at um, a large scale. So I think that it's totally possible that, that you know, something like this couldn't work, um, but it's Eventually, I think we'll we'll start to see, you know, we reach a tipping point where one small guinea pig experiment uh, cracks the code and, and figures it out and it works. And then it's not so outlandish for other cases to work as well. Um, so definitely something I, I agree with you on the, you know, hopeful but pessimistic approach mm -hmm. there, but something that we'll certainly be keeping an eye on. Now, on to other news, uh, perhaps on a more bizarre but increasingly less surprising <laughs> <laughs> note. Um, so there is a case where in Ukraine, employees of a nuclear power plant were using it, uh, the, the power from the plant, to uh, 
run the internet so that they could mine cryptocurrency. So they were effectively rigging a, a, a nuclear power plant up to mine cryptocurrency for them. This is the most crypto story ever. <laughs> I just, I, this, this would have maybe two years ago been quite a shocking headline to me. And now I'm just like, well, guess it's just crypto. Uh, I, I, it's 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 crazy, right? And this is at a big. This is at the South Ukraine nuclear power plant. It's about 200 miles south of Kiev. It's a big power plant, um, and yeah, it's being like investigated by Ukraine's secret services um, as uh, I quote a potential breach to state breach to state secrets due to the classification of nuclear power plants as critical infrastructure. Um, they're essentially using the supercomputers that power these nuclear power stations to mine cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Interestingly, several employees have already been charged for their involvement, but they haven't been arrested yet. And it's still unclear mm. if any military staff was charged. But officials that are investigating this do believe that this has to do with the recent spike in cryptocurrency trading prices after that sort of long period during which they fell. Yeah, this is like, um, when we were reading about this, it, it seems like this wasn't just like some individual person with their feet up at their desk, like, hmm, what can I do to pass the time? This is like an organized scheme that seems to, and I would be very surprised if this was like the first time this had been done. We we, we saw um, a spike of a few of these other cases happening around like the 2018, uh, 2017 boom and in 2018 as well, right? Yeah, so there were several engineers at a. This is I, I can't believe we're talking about this. <laughs> there were there were several engineers at a Russian nuclear power station uh, that were arrested for mining Bitcoin, Monero, and Ethereum back in early 2018. Uh, two employees at Australia's Bureau of Meteorology were also arrested in early 2018 for using their supercomputers to mine cryptocurrency. Uh, we'll keep going. An employee of the National Research Institute for Nuclear Physics and Engineering in Romania was mm. arrested in late 2018 for mining crypto at work. So yeah, certainly this is not the first time we've seen something like this. Yeah, and I think this is actually an opportune time for uh, us to announce um, our <laughs> next, uh, our new roles at the Ukrainian power plants uh, that are going to be launched up. And, and me and Austin are going to be creative directors at uh, <laughs> at both of those, uh, directing creativity in the in the blockchain space. No, I'm joking, but yeah, I'm sure we I'm sure we're going to see more and more of these bizarre stories um, putting up. I. I'm kind of curious. I it didn't mention in any of the reports, but I'm wondering like how much they were able to to mine uh, through some of these supercomputers because the I, from from what I saw in the most recent one in the Ukraine, it was like they'd set up some um, like GPU mining rigs that had kind of just some pretty standard like hardware but some of the ones in russia and also the one in um australia as well were tapping into some pretty insane computing power so yeah i'm sure i'm sure they probably regret it now but uh yeah we'll we'll see where that goes yeah it's an interesting thing to think about um when you know when currency becomes 
very directly attached to large computing power, then computing power has a sort of intrinsic value that perhaps it didn't have in the past. And then that becomes an asset that needs to be protected and guarded as yeah. as crazy as. Uh, of course, the, you know, there are other reasons why supercomputers would be protected and guarded, but this is a new sort of class of attack that, that is very directly tied to monetary value. So uh, I think that as we see cryptocurrencies reach broader adoption and value and stability um, per, you know, the the uh, reasoning that is being given by the investigating authorities in Ukraine here around the growth in the cryptocurrency trading prices being the, the motivating factor behind this, I think we'll start to see more supercomputers used in uh, nefarious or unexpected ways. Yeah. I mean, we were talking near the end of 2017 and especially near the start of 2018 about all the investments that Bitmain in particular, the Chinese manufacturer, I mean, they they must be, I believe they're the world's largest, if not one of the world's largest um, cryptocurrency, more specifically, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, uh, mining uh, hardware. I mean, the infrastructure that they set up and have in place across China in particular, um, in terms of <laughs> all of their mining rigs, as soon as profitability increases and makes like the unit economics of mining uh, offsetting against like some of those variable power costs uh, more viable, pretty sure you're going to see those massive surges and electricity firing up again and all those mining rigs like working in overdrive. So there's a lot of infrastructure that was built over the past year and a half in particular slash two years that is pretty much like sitting dormant waiting uh, for for the opportune time, so right. I think that we'll we'll start seeing a lot more of that happen. But anyway, I'm sure we'll cover some more of these like very important crypto stories in the near future. <laughs> uh, why don't we jump on to one of our favorite topics? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about Libra in recent episodes, as many people covering the blockchain and crypto space have been doing. And the most recent update on that is that now Facebook is starting to warn investors that Libra may never launch. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they, they want it to launch next year, but they're saying it may never get off the ground. And this is uh, direct from their quarterly report. They said that it is, quote, based on new and unproven technology. And they added that the legal environment surrounding digital currencies is, quote, uncertain and evolving and that this could cause Libra to be delayed or even blocked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt, what do you think of this? Yeah, well, I was just like, you, we'll share out the link to Facebook's quarterly report, but I basically did like a command F and just looked for Libra. And there was actually a surprisingly large amount of information that they talked about in their most recent quarterly report about Libra. And honestly, I didn't think there would be such a huge amount of like um, content in there about it. Um, and it was pretty negative. Uh, is negative the right word? Uh, maybe prudent is the the correct word, which is probably a good thing. But like, I pulled out uh, a couple of other lines from that, and uh, I, I quote: "Our participation in the Libra Association will subject us to significant regulatory scrutiny and other risks that could adversely affect our business reputation or financial results." Uh, they also say. In quotes, market acceptance of such currency is subject to significant uncertainty. So, yeah, it feels like they are, they're either getting like 
more and more nervous about how they're going to be able to deploy this or they're they're probably just really trying to be on the more prudent side of the fence when they're setting expectations with investors because i can't imagine that they went into this thinking it was going to be a field day um and all of a sudden they're now having a u-turn which is what it seems like there is some kind of hyperbole in the the news headlines surrounding this as if this is like fresh news but yeah Yeah, so I have to say that when I first read about this, my initial reaction was this sounds a little bit like a scare tactic that's being used to rally the public uh, around fear that, you know, this technology that a lot of people are excited about, oh, you know, you may never get access to it, it may it may never launch, uh, and then get the public to put pressure on regulators to not be so harsh, or for the media to not be so harsh. That was my first reaction is like, oh, this is it's going to launch. And what they're doing is they're saying this to uh, draw attention to it so that they aren't subjected to such intense scrutiny from the public and from regulators. But then uh, reading through the quarterly report and specifically that quote that you brought out there, Matt, around their quote, our participation in the Libra Association will subject us to significant regulatory scrutiny. Um, That reads to me like Uh, an organization that is having a lot of internal disagreement and uh, Mm. debate over whether this is a direction that they should pursue because they had to, the people that were working on the project from the beginning had to be very aware that it would subject them to significant regulatory scrutiny and had to have made the decision to pursue the technology despite that. Uh, So for the company itself to be saying this, the way that this reads to me now is uh, that the, the people that are putting together the quarterly report that are perhaps a little bit higher up the food chain than the the the, the members of the team that have built Libra uh, are that that those folks are starting to get concerned and perhaps pushing back even internally on the technology which I think that is that there actually is potential that 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 could be something that kills Libra um, yeah. I I feel like it's more likely I guess for Facebook internally to fight and make the decision to kill Libra themselves than for them to like just back down from regulators and and not find a way to get it launched if they're really committed to it. I I feel like, you know, no matter how much regulation they come up against, there's going to be a way, perhaps with significant changes, but still, that if Facebook really wanted to launch Libra, they could do that. Yeah. I think that's interesting as well. I I almost feel like that's one of the reasons why maybe they decided one of the reasons why they decided to kind of form the Libra Association, bring on a bunch of other partners, just to almost like safeguard them from like internal implosion as well. Right. Like I mm-hmm. imagine people like David Marcus, who's heading up Facebook's like Libra efforts, is probably and, and this is purely speculation, but I mean ugh, it, it it's almost certainly true that he would be a very controversial figure inside the walls of Facebook, right? It's gonna divide right. opinion. Um so by them kind of pulling parts of this outside of Facebook, I think that's gonna to a certain extent safeguard them from this like impact in them because yeah i i imagine that there's a huge amount of controversy inside facebook around this project and 
it's not just in Facebook that people are getting scared. This is this is another thing that um, we've been digging into, right? And actually, there's been a huge amount of like cryptocurrency lobbyists that are trying to kind of avoid the efforts that Facebook are trying to take with their digital currency to influence like new regulation. And there's been a huge amount since Libra launched of like advancement in regulatory uh, procedures and just even knowledge from like regulators into digital and cryptocurrencies. But uh, th- this was an interesting quote I, I found from um, from Kristen Smith, and she's the director of the Blockchain Association, which is basically a, a group that focuses on the advancement of blockchain technology. She says, what we don't want to happen is members of Congress for the first time come in and author legislation that aims to go after Facebook and inadvertently takes out the other part of the industry. What she's referring to here is the likes of Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., etc., like true cryptocurrencies. And that I, I, I'm, I'm sensing a lot of a lot of fear around this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we- certainly, I think there's fear of conflation right between the the two technologies and then perhaps getting lumped together in the same basket of regulation yeah i mean we we've already seen trump back in july 2019 not to i feel like i'm consistently quoting trump he just gives me too many quotes like this is the <laughs> problem uh so he he quoted on twitter for those of you that didn't see this back in july 2019 just after uh, facebook had announced libra he'd said uh facebook libra's in quotes virtual currency will have little standing or dependability. If Facebook and other companies want to become a bank, they must seek a new banking charter and become subject to all banking regulations, just like other banks. Interestingly, like, this isn't Trump's only comment around, like, digital currencies, right? He also Mm -hmm. followed up after that. He's like, I am not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. (laughs) Yeah, so this is like exhibit A of the idiocy that uh, people are that are in the blockchain and crypto space are worried about uh, happening with people conflating the the two technologies and and thinking that they are the same thing. And I think that's also why we saw, um, you know, or at least we were encouraged by the congressional hearings with Libra and uh, many Congress people expressing disdain or concern over Libra, but also very explicitly stating that they liked Bitcoin because it was decentralized and all of this stuff. So that's encouraging. It shows that there are some regulators that understand the difference between the two. But of course, the risk, I think, is pretty clearly laid out here in those two quotes that you just gave, Matt, um, that they could be conflated by people that have a lot of influence over the, the future adoption of these technologies. Yeah, and it's like when we were speaking to uh, Ricardo Spani um, from uh, the one of the the leading founding developers on the Monero project, um, and now Antari, he he seemed pretty optimistic um, about actually all of this that's happening with Libra will help traditional cryptocurrencies and the wider cryptocurrency ecosystem from a regulation point of view. So I think there is a lot of arguments on both sides. I think the thing 
that is absolutely apparent is no one really knows where the chips are going to fall. And I I think that's one thing that's m- very concerning to probably both sides here. Um, I, like, as I alluded to when we were chatting uh, a little bit earlier, right? So the um, Yves Mersch, the who's a board member of the ECB, so the European Central Bank, um, he, he was quoted saying that Libra could undermine the European Central Bank's ability to set monetary policy and that Europe should ignore his silence call of, in quote, treacherous promises. That's quite <laughs> quite a phrase, I would yeah. say. Um, and, and he also said, and this is an exact quote, which I I thought brings together some of our discussion that we've had in this episode all together quite nicely that um, depending on Libra's level of acceptance and on the referencing of the euro in its reserve basket, which, of course, we know still needs to be determined, mm-hmm. it could reduce the ECB's control over the euro, impair the monetary policy transmission mechanism by affecting the liquidity position of euro area banks and undermine the single currency's international role. So there's a lot of fear from not just cryptocurrencies, but also fiat currencies on Libra's introduction. It seems like every and and also Facebook is 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 worried about the mm-hmm. impact on their own business. There's a lot of uncertainty at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So something we'll be keeping our eye on as well. Absolutely, but at least we can always rely on cryptocurrency in power plants. That's what we need. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think we'll wrap that up. That's all we've got time for today. We've got some amazing guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. A few guests that we had on in our second series coming back, so we'll be tracking how their uh, projects are progressing. Um, But until next time, make sure you join us for another episode of the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show your appreciation to myself and Matt, give us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate that. You can also visit thecoinoffering.com to learn more about cryptocurrencies, get caught up on some news, see how your currency is performing. And you can follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering, as well as email us at podcast at thecoinoffering.com if you'd like to get in touch. The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.